Yes, you have to take the remote. Oh, the remote that's the uh, the the Apple TV. No, no, the remote for the TV. You take the remote for the TV. You turn it on. You click the input thing to make sure that it's on on Apple TV. You bring up Apple TV. You hit menu. Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. Good morning, Colonel. How are you up way up there? Oh, it's a beautiful San Francisco. Dry, clear, cool, moist, warm, corpulent, prescient. Morning in San Francisco with the crate murder blooming. I hear you folks have uh, help to buy your groceries and bring them to you. Yes, mostly sweet tea and bullwhips. <laughs> I heard it rained there. Breaking news. Yeah. There is weather. There is weather. Yeah. Back to you, Chet. It's a big thing in the in the city. Yeah, you sound a little robot-y. Do I sound robot No, you sound good. I did the full thing. It sounds good. Full Monty. You sound beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, San Francisco's weird. But, really? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you know how it is. I mean, you've lived, you lived, lived in places where it won't rain for a really long time. For example, in the South, it, it, has, it hasn't rained for a really long time. And then it rains, and that, like, I don't know what the term for it is, but it kind of draws the oil out of the pavement and suddenly everyone's skidding off the road and driving like a crazy person. Right, yes. We have that here, but in our minds. <laughs> it does that to the, the, the human brain. Well, I know you're not a neurologist, but it draws out the mind oils. It's just like uh, oil pulling? It's a lot like oil I'm familiar pulling. with that. I'm fairly familiar it's with that. It's conscious uncoupling. With the road oils. And what that does is that draws out the toxins. You want to be careful not to swallow your car. That's number one. Yes, yes, yes. It's spring break. Is it spring break there? I don't. Yes, sure. Well, you would know. Are your children screaming at the house a lot? No, no. That, I think that, no, that must have happened. Mm. Gemma, Gemma Hollum, Gemma, Gemma. She says uh, vis-a-vis <laughs> oil pulling. She says it, it isn't swallowing the oil that can give you pneumonia. It's breathing it in. Yeah, you get the uh, as, asper, aspirations, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how you get the pneumonia. I've never had pneumonia as far as I know. No. I think you awful. would know. It's one of those things that if you have it, because I was researching this last week as my uh, upper respiratory tract infection that you correctly diagnosed over the, over the air. Uh, yes, <laughs> that, uh, that I had finally developed a little fever from that. So I began researching pneumonia and bronchitis and it was not any of those. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny. It is the, funny. Um, it's funny. It is. How it's funny. Hmm? What are you typing? <laughs> what are you doing typing? I'm me? not typing. Uh, the, the funny thing is, uh, I, I realized that, you know, as, as I, I don't know, as I get older, as the web gets older, as things, you know, progress, I find myself seeking out fewer and fewer, like, little beacons. Like, there's probably 14 places I go on the internet. And then sometimes I need to go someplace else on the internet, and I see this whole world I never think about existing. Mm. That's the special thing about the internet, is just there's so many dark rooms. And, uh, and, you know, every time I think that I've got, like, back cancer or something, and I go and start researching it, mm -hmm. wow, 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 wow. It's it's really it's really difficult. There's a lot of galleries about about health problems. You mean image galleries? Well, no. I mean, there's one. Is it WebMD where I'll be laying in bed and I'll wake up and I'll go, "Oh, I've totally got back cancer. I should find out about this." Yeah. 
And I, uh, I open up my phone and it goes, hello, welcome to a page. Back cancer is a serious condition of the back involving cancers. Click to continue. And you go to the next page. And, and you see an, you see an ad for like a refi mortgage, and it goes uh, <laughs> in the in the past posterior or back area is where your back is located. Cancer is bad. Click to continue. <laughs> oh man, I opened up. Oh, I God. opened up Pandora's box, my friend. I did something I never should have done. What? Uh, I, uh, I oh God I introduced my daughter to The Simpsons. Oh really? It's way more grown up than I remember. Well, where did you? start like what season how do you start that i well i have a very it's a very good question and and the way that i do these things is uh i use science and so what i do is i go to tv.com and if i if i don't so like for example i remember my i think in my in, in my mind's eye my all-time favorite maybe most quoted episode of the simpsons in my head anyway is the great conan o'brien epic last exit to springfield they have the plant, but we have the power. <laughs> Dental plan. <laughs> Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. And so uh, I pop that one up. That's happening in, in Homer's brain. It's uh boy, that show, man. I geez, I've been saying this. That's for where 15. he has to negotiate with Burns, right? That's right. I yes, should really stop yes. ending the tour here. Yes. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. It's full of amazing quotes. Um, but yeah, and um, you know, it's a cartoon and it's colorful and you know, it, it's uh she doesn't understand, you know, hardly a tenth of the jokes because right. there are references to other things. There's so many things I'm like, oh everything is a reference. I've had to start really explaining what a parody is a lot. I'm like, this is really funny if you've seen a movie called Psycho. Like, you know, in this case, you know, uh, Maggie hit Homer with a mallet and now he's pulling down a curtain. And anyway, what do you, okay. As a a slight, I want to return to my science, but go ahead. Yeah. As, as a tangent to that is, do you think that, I mean, obviously like those jokes can be funny on their own if you don't know that it's a psycho reference, but I don't know about you, but for me, I most of the things that that they're referencing in the Simpsons are from movies that I've seen. Um yeah. so when I see that I'm like ah psycho. But you like even if you'd never seen Psycho it might still be funny. It's very funny if you've seen Psycho. My question though is what if in the case of your daughter she sees it on the Simpsons first? And then may later see Psycho and may remember the Simpsons and may then realize that it was a parody of it. Do you think it's as good that way? No. And I think that's, that's really common today. Um, there's a really interesting story on the New York times a year or two ago about kids who are super duper into star Wars who have never seen star Wars that maybe they've seen clone wars, right. but that star Wars is that kind of a franchise, partly because of the marketing, of course, but where it's, it's so sticky. Everybody instantly gets Darth Vader. Like you don't need a cliff notes. To R- understand. Right. You go, you start booing, like, you know, just <laughs> unconsciously. Right. Well, but, spo- um, spoiler alert for Star Wars and Darth Vader. So get fast forward 30 seconds. Um, my spoiler kid, alert that he's a bad guy? No, that, that how, how he's. Oh, you got to be real careful about that. That's what I'm saying. Can we do it? I have to. Okay. Let me d- not do that then. Okay. If you're not familiar with Star Wars. No, I'm not even going to do it. My son knows what I'm, knows this. He He's, knows the he knows the the, the central yes. spoiler of Star Wars. Yes, and he he knows it having 
never seen any of the three real Star Wars movies in their entireties, having never seen that scene. He knows it because there is a little, uh, little Tykes stage one learning to read book that has it on page five. Oh, come on. So, and he also knows it. Blue little tykes. He knows it from everywhere. He knows it from seeing this everywhere. It's everywhere. It's impossible to not see it. There are references to it in, uh, in Toy Story that, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's, there is, I don't, I don't think that he could be surprised and enjoy the surprise of the big reveal in the movie when this happens because he kind of already knows it and like doesn't think it's a big deal that's just that's just like oh yeah there's that right and so like are the movies still good if that big reveal is no longer you know if all of the thunder is taken away from it well i think he still likes the movies somewhat but um, how do you prevent that how do you keep that from happening how do you isolate your well, kids I, I mean it's oh gosh, there's a million things here. Uh, one is that the stuff that one reason the Simpsons was so there's so many reasons the Simpsons was appealing for its first, especially six or maybe eight seasons, mm. um, especially the first like six seasons. It was there was something really special about it. It, it you know it was um, I mean it's so snarky, but it was so full of knowing pop culture references, mm-hmm. you know, all along the way. I mean, you know, characters that are obviously based on characters from other things. And just, I mean, every episode, the episodes, some of the ones we watch will have, you know, maybe you know, two, three, four set pieces that are straight out of some something. And I have to explain, like, what, what Tom and Jerry is. My daughter's never seen Tom and Jerry. Oh, right. So sh- she's not going to understand Itchy and Scratchy. And, um, but the, but the, the interesting part of that, so first of all, to answer your question i'm not sure it ruins the movie or whatever but it, it's you know one thing is today in the age of binge watching now it luckily it is easier if you do want to save your kid from that or save anybody from huge spoilers you can sit down you know and watch the third season of the wire and know like what happens toward mm-hmm. the end of that season and uh you know whereas back in the day you might have to like borrow a, a video cassette and a vcr in order to watch that because you couldn't go see it in a the theater. Right. Uh, you know, I didn't own a VCR until college. Um, right. But so that's, that. in that sense, it is easier today. Also, people have a much just um, more whimsical relationship with media in general. I mean, you can be a big fan of something. You become a super fan. You can cosplay it. You can do all this stuff. But, you know, it, it is so much easier and faster to get into anything nowadays that it isn't like you go, okay, well, now let's go watch these five movies so that you can get up to the point. Even though the three non-canonical Star Wars movies you know, already have the spoiler built into them. Yeah. But, but you know, it, what, what it makes me think about, I don't know if this is interesting to you, but I, you know, I know you're a fan of Johnny Carson. I'm a fan of Johnny oh, Carson. Yeah. I was watching uh, the King of Comedy the other day, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, such a, such a great little, it's, it's kind of a, I don't want to say a sleeper because I think it did pretty well, but such a, such a strange, strange movie. I, I forget how strange that movie is. Martin Scorsese movie mm-hmm. with Robert De Niro. And uh, the Jerry Lewis character is obviously, you know, uh, Ramona Clay for Johnny Carson. And um, it's um, it's so strange to think about how, like, when you were six, you knew who Johnny Carson was, oh, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, am I remembering that wrong? No, I, I, I remember. Vi- here's the funniest thing. I vividly remember uh, the apartment complex that we uh, that we lived in. 
And I vividly remember Johnny Carson being on and I was probably in the six, seven year range. And like, I remember it being late at night and hearing, you know, if for some reason I was up or out of bed or whatever, like Carson was always on. It was like, who is this guy? And I didn't get the jokes or anything, but like that was Carson, like Carson was, was after my bedtime. He, he was like exactly, the guy that's but, on TV. That's is what TV is. Johnny Carson yeah. is TV after bedtime <laughs> as a kid. And for 90 minutes, for, for so many years, he did that for 90 minutes, four nights a week. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, but it, maybe in a similar way to the Darth Vader phenomenon with little kids today. I mean, I think we all, we all knew, you know, who they were, but I, I just, it's just that today, and, and again, this could be by, by virtue of the fact of our attention being so uh, segmented into different things, getting to choose the kinds of things that we pay attention to and having so many options for what we follow or don't follow. I've read the amazing new Silver Surfer three times in the last week, but I've never seen a single episode of How I Met Your Mother. Right. Not because... Me, same, have, same to me. Same with me. I have, I, have, I have nothing against it, but last night, you know, Twitter was you know, gosh, I, I think Jamie Phelps almost had a stroke, and, you know, over, <laughs> over this last episode. <laughs> it's always fun to watch people get excited about something you don't know about. Um, I see also sports ball, but, 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 you know, that's, that's an interesting example to me where I, I didn't even know how many of my friends have apparently like never missed an episode of that show, but I've never seen it, but we're still friends. Right. Whereas when you were in, when I was in fifth grade, when you were in probably by the time you got to fifth grade or mm-hmm. so, could you imagine if any of your buddies had not seen Star Wars? Oh, forget it. Like that was, it, it would be unthinkable. Unthinkable. And what's here's what's weird. Here's what's weird to me now is that I uh I I know people and and there's, you know, Austin as as you say is a young town and it's you know, we I I've got folks here who are in their 20s working here and like they'll I'll make a joke or make a reference to a movie and They'll, they'll be like, oh, that's, you know, they'll laugh and they'll get it. I'll be like, oh, you've seen that? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, of, of course I've seen, uh, I don't know, what is that? American Fletch. Yeah. Or uh, and, right. But then there's like these shows, what is it? One American Dad or whatever it oh, is. Oh, right. Hmm? I'm like, yeah, that's from that. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, you know, from this movie from 1974, like whatever, you know, but the thing is like, they have heard the quote as parodied by a modern day character parodying the movie without any knowledge that it actually came from that movie to them. I'm, I'm quoting American dad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like how weird is that? It, it, it's, it's weird. And I was trying to explain this to my wife because um, there was something I don't, I, I, we were watching something and I was just relating something kind of related to this phenomenon with her. And I was saying, I wonder if part of it was that most of the parents and grandparents in my family were older by, by the standards of the time. And uh, my mother had a child at the impossibly ancient age of 30. Mm. And uh, so I, I was familiar in the same way that those kids are familiar with those lines. I was familiar with Groucho Marx and the Ritz brothers and like the, you know, Jimmy Durante. I knew these catchphrases, you know, a little traveling music. Like I knew like a Jackie Gleason reference when I was a little kid. Right. <clears throat> and today I, you know, one I, of I these wonder- days, right. Yeah. Like, yeah, why it, did it, we know that? It's weird. Well, From wonder, the Flintstones. Yeah. Well, That's how I knew it. I didn't oh, know well, that, I that yeah. I didn't know that Fred Flintstone was Jackie Gleason until years later. Yeah. Yeah. No, isn't that funny? Um, and I, it's just a, t- today I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I, I just wonder how that stuff is different today because there's so much stuff where I went and again, I, I watched Duck Soup last week, which is 
probably my favorite Marx Brothers movie. It's definitely the wackiest, and uh, it's it's just it's brilliant. But it's 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 so weird. It's from such a different time. I don't think my daughter could ever sit down and ever watch, watch that. Never. It's it's it is so weird and inscrutable too. First of all, she hates watching anything black and white. She didn't want to read. What was it? It wasn't Scott Pilgrim. Uh, slow growing up, but there was something, something. It was a, in a black and white comic, and she, oh, it was one of the Adventure Times. And then Adventure Time, uh, like hardcover, came out, and we we picked it up sight unseen, and she wouldn't even look at it because it was black and white. Mm. Which I, you know, I guess I, that's not a new thing, but um, yeah, no, you're right, it is strange. But then it also that also what you're describing there also leads to phenomena like in our time, uh, Orson Welles. Orson Welles, you know, I, I guess over time this has changed a little bit, but. He is regarded as having, at the age of what, twenty five or thirty, directed what a lot of people still consider the greatest movie of all time, mm-hmm. and a bunch of movies that probably should have been great, but you know things didn't always go his way. And by the time we knew him, you know he was the fat guy in the in the wine commercial, right? And that's 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 all we knew him as. Or we knew him as like having a guest spot, you know, on uh, on Johnny Carson, you know. Yeah. Did you um changing gears here? Oh, I should get back to my science too, but um. Did you, uh, have you heard about the John Orosky's Dune documentary? Oh, I was just reading an article on that. Yeah, that's weird. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. He, uh, in the early 70s, the, the, the short version, the version that makes this something that would be made into a documentary is that he is this, wow, his films are pretty, pretty weird. I, I don't think anybody has ever intentionally made a successful weird movie quite as weird as his movies. Mm-hmm. They're really, really disturbing. I put up a, a YouTube video of the trailer for the Holy Mountain a couple of weeks ago and got, got a lot of feedback. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, oh yeah, yeah. There's people walking down the street with holding up, you know, goat corpses, and people are shot by a firing squad, and birds fly out of the wounds. It's, it's. He's a super interesting guy. Point is, in the early and mid '70s, he got uh, attached to making Dune. Anyway, people know this, but I guess. But what, the, the, the part that makes it interesting as a documentary today is how much of the team that he worked with went on to do other stuff. People like, I think, Mobius, uh, you know, the comic artist, the artist in general, yeah. and most especially H.R. Uh, Geiger, whose designs for the spaceships, like Baron Harkonnen's uh, big spaceship thing, are just, you got to go Google this. It's, it's amazing. And Jodorowsky, like, he, he had this amazing team together. This is pre Star Wars days. And he ended up having a huge impact. His team went on to do stuff for Blade Runner, Alien, Star Wars, like all, all of these movies. But a lot of people say it's like next to maybe Kubrick's Napoleon. It might be the greatest unmade movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did like, he basically did, if you go and look at this, he did 3,000 drawings, basically storyboarded the entire movie wow. with camera movements. The whole nine, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's this giant tome. So, um, <laughs> but the casting, uh, Orson Welles was going to be in it. Um, Salvador Dali, who was working for, I think it was $100,000 an hour was what he was going to charge. Oh my God. <laughs> something, something like that. <laughs> yeah, but the only way he could, could get Orson Welles to agree to do it was to uh, have the guy from his favorite hamburger place working on site. <laughs> so so weird. <laughs> Didn't get made. Um, would you uh, would you mind telling me about something you like? I would love to do that. I will tell you all about a little company named Linda. Two thousand high quality, engaging video courses taught by industry experts. They're adding new courses every day. What are the courses on? I'll tell you what they're on. Pretty much everything from beginner to advanced. Do you want to learn how to use Final Cut Pro? 
You want to learn how to write HTML? You want to learn Rails? Even Python. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to them about that. But they've got, they've got it all. And it's really, really awesome. I mean, even, even the kind of stuff that you think of as like a hobby, photography, videography, audio recording, they even have stuff on, you know, songwriting, but then they, they get serious too. You want to get into accounting stuff, your small business, you want to learn how to do QuickBooks, they've got that. You know, Photoshop, Excel, CSS, learn how to write SQL, be like uh, me and Merlin, write SQL in your sleep. Hello. Unlimited access. You learn what you want, when you want, because you get access to their entire course library. It's not like a one-off thing. You buy an individual course. No, you get a subscription and you have access to everything and you use it for as long as you want it. Remember, there's expert teachers, tons of really great instruction, all the techniques, everything you want. And it's all high-end stuff. This isn't like a person with a a webcam sitting in their garage. These are all really high-end state-of-the-art stuff and it looks great. Uh, And and, and so there's a special, uh, special deal. Listeners can start a free seven-day trial by going to lynda.com slash back to work. This will let you in there free for seven days. And you have access to literally everything, every single thing that they have ever made, you have access to it. So that's L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work, seven-day free trial. Go check them out. Thanks very much to Linda for supporting 5 by 5 and Merlin Mann's Back to Work with Dan Benjamin. Uh, can I ask you some questions about Linda? This only took a second. Yeah, go ahead, Colin. I was having to thank you, uh, first time Linder. Uh, I had a f- <laughs> trouble finding a few things. I wanted to know if you could tell me if they have these. Uh, number one, uh, Samsung unboxing. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's there. They don't teach that. I'm I'm looking right now. <clears throat> cat versus laser pointer. Cat, cat versus laser pointer. They I'm, have that. I'm good looking. Okay. No. Uh, Python? Yes, they do. They do, but they do have something called Understanding Cat, which is the character animation tool in Max 2011, more commonly referred to simply as Cat. Uh, so, actually, so they have that. Command line, concatenating files. And they show how to do muscle animation in Cat so that you can make <laughs> a realistic character animated. Nice. Yeah, like beneath the surface of the character that you've made that you're animating in, in 3DS Max. Mm, that's a good service. Yeah. A little bit of fake follow-up. Uh, yesterday, uh, serendipity. Serendipity, that's all I'm going to say about this. I was on um, a show on your Back to, or back to, what's it, the back to Work Network. <laughs> the the Back to Work fun. Network, yes, that's the new I, one. I, I got to tell you, I was on the, a 5 by 5 program called Command Space with your friend uh, I'm Michael Hurley. <laughs> and uh, I was on the Command Space yesterday. Somebody flaked, I think, as they say in England. <laughs> Excuse me, and he uh, and he had me on his program yesterday at the last minute, and I think it turned out pretty well. So you can uh, that's in uh, show notes. We talked about uh, what do we talk about? We talked about um, lots of fun stuff. We talked about this show. We talked about podcasting and and how you um, can kind of let your show turn into what it's going to turn into. How podcasting is like writing and how it's not. And uh, we talked about presentations and things like that. Mike's frustration with corporate presentations. I think it's a good show. Dan, uh, in as much as you can say, could you tell people where to find show notes for uh, this episode of your Back to Work program? I sure can. You go to 5by5.tv slash B as in brethren, 2 as in the number, W as in working, slash 165. 165. 165. That's command space. That mic does a good job. You know what's interesting is I uh, I got my mom an Apple TV and she... Is in, watching a lot of watching a lot of crunch roll. She's into <clears throat> she's into podcasts, and I didn't even you know like I 
in in my mind, I knew that there were podcasts on the Apple TV because I've done that, but I don't really think of it as like, I'm going to launch the podcasts app on the Apple TV to go there and get them. Usually it's on my iPhone. Uh, but when she saw it, she's like, what's podcast? I'm like, oh yeah, you can get podcasts here. She was like so excited about it. So of course, the first one I play, I has to be back to work. And, uh, and you know what? Like these shows are pretty good sometimes. Like the old seven, episode seven. I don't like to jinx it, but I think our show is pretty good. It's pretty good. We've apparently we've saved, saved people's lives. Did you read yeah. that one? Yeah, that's I did. that. And I, the person we don't need to go in any more details than that, but the person who said that, mm-hmm. wow. Talk about waking up, drinking your coffee in the morning and reading that. Wow. I, hate the idea of, I hate the idea of having power. It's very terrifying. It, to me. It, it, that's exactly how I felt. Now I feel like I don't want to talk about silver, silver surfer. You know, it's, it's awkward. Why? Cause he has talk- power. He's so powerful. Oh, I want to talk about silver surfer. Um, that is really cool. And, and check me on this, Dan. Does does the podcast app, does that uh, sync, quote unquote? I don't think quote, it does, no. In I Apple think. quotes? I think it syncs with your what you have in iTunes. Does it? I don't think so. It's really perplexing. And then it also syncs with your, uh, what's on the iPhone? Is that right? I don't, I don't think it does. Okay. I don't know. Maybe uh, it does. I don't, I don't use it. So. I've, I've depleted all my anti-Apple Bitcoins in the last month, so I'm going to leave right. that alone. Mm. The coffer mm. has been emptied. Yes. Well, and if you're wondering where it went, you might want to go listen to the last episode of Roderick on the Line, mm. where we talked about some of the somewhat frustrating experiences that we have been having. Um, but but uh, I was talking great. to him all about Caterpillars. Who, who's that, John Roderick? Yeah, just over Twitter. I know oh, you nice. Know, I, I know that uh, he's... Has some experience with those tent caterpillars. I wanted to talk to him about that. Yeah, John helps a lot of people. Um, he's he's got a lot of background in a lot of topics. <laughs> it's uh, it's sometimes it's a little startling. Uh, that's interesting. Now, now for your mom, did you set her up with? Did you guess like what kind of podcast she might enjoy? And no, I left it us? all left it all to her uh, Ugh, to do good that. Luck, yeah. Jeez, that's a that's a lot to leave her with. No, she's already interested in podcasts and already has a lot of them that she listens to. But the main thing happened after I left uh, where she texted me and said that she can't get regular TV back. It's now the TV will is only Apple TV. Her whole TV is only Apple TV. And what she called uh, vertical integration. Right. So I, I walked her through using the, the TV input button to get it back to the regular TV. And I had to troubleshoot why the cable box was off because it's she never turns it off, but I had, so it was my fault. Oh man! Because she would go to the the HDMI one and it was just a black screen. But I had to unplug the cable box in order to plug in a power strip because she didn't have one. See how this we, works? I do. We talked actually talked about this on that episode where like I feel like you know how you can get this kind of um, whatever the opposite of attrition is a mess I guess <laughs> where I had this mess uh, underneath the TV where I've been kind of ad hoc adding things in without doing all the cabling stuff and making it pretty. And my, my poor wife has been very patient about how Who has time for making it pretty anymore. Well, With all these gadgets. I, I finally sat, I sat down, I sat down and fixed it. I finally, I finally like set aside some time when we didn't have to be watching something or have the internet up. And I re jiggered everything, hit all the, uh, it's not, I mean, once you know where the bodies are buried, it's not very pretty, <laughs> but as long as you don't open a couple doors, you can live your life just fine. But, uh, boy, it's, it, it really, I was saying to John how it feels like as recently as even like a couple years ago, I feel like we'd had this like 
10-year Pax Romana with technology where stuff mostly worked, where you take your coax and plug it into your TV and it works. And I, I can't do right. that now nope. with Comcast. Nope. I think I have to have some kind of special, their, their, their giant novelty-sized modem. I've got to hook up and get it all hand shook and Mac addressed. And I don't, it's completely perplexing. Um, can I make a uh, correction? I feel badly about, um, please. Okay. I, I've, I've made your this, show. You do whatever you want. Thank you, Dan. I've made this mistake several times and, uh, I finally had the presence of mind to go see if I was making a mistake. And I was, um, the phrase thought terminating cliche. <laughs> yes. That phrase that we use so much here. That's funny. How Dan, like a clown? My God. What's happened at this show? <laughs> I, I, uh, I have, uh, I have repeatedly um, attributed that to the great George Orwell. And while it is heavily related to George Orwell, he is not actually the person who coined that phrase. Oh. Credit for that goes to, reading from Wikipedia, which is never wrong, uh, Robert J. Lifton in his book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. Hmm. I'm just going to read this as my uh, penance. Sure. Uh, thought reform and the psychology of totalism popularized the term thought terminating cliche. This refers to, and this is actually kind of an interesting topic. Um, although we still haven't talked about my science or silver surfer, this refers to a cliche that is commonly, that is a commonly used phrase or folk wisdom, sometimes used to quell cognitive dissonance. Though the cliched phrase in and of itself may be valid in certain contexts, its application as a means of dismissing dissent or justifying fallacious logic is what makes it thought terminating. And it's, you know, related to the, uh, it says right here, uh, related to Newspeak, you know, from George Orwell from 1984. Um, but I just want to make sure I, uh, my apologies to, uh, to uh, Lifton and his family for getting that wrong. It's a very interesting idea, though. Because, I mean, you know, Newspeak, Newspeak obviously is the, and Newspeak for, every, everybody's read 1984, right? I think so. But you know all the stuff like you know double plus good and uh, all the all the various ways you say something that's kind of the opposite of the truth by slapping these nouns together. You know, Newspeak is a is a great example of that. But I mean, I, I something that always interests me also is jargon, which can turn into buzzwords, which can turn into douche talk pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And again, as long as I'm being self referential, uh, Mike and I were talking about this. How in a corporate environment, you start to feel like a crazy person. You certainly felt this, Dan. Oh my Were gosh, you, yes, you, I knew exactly you what you're going to say. Oh yeah, where he has to go and do these presentations and you feel like you go into a, a room with people and you know, it's it's this terrible, I think almost paranoid feeling where I feel like I'm being somebody's gaslighting me. Like are, you, people just keep saying all these words that seem to not mean anything. Right. And and you know, and like I was saying to to Mike, I think I think we're the weirdos. I think most people are able to step out of their sophomoric self-involvement long enough to just speak the douche speak and be okay with it and put on the suit and do their job like a gentleman. But I find that very hard to do. It's 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 one part of me that's still very Holden Caulfield. It's very hard for me to be expected to conduct a conversation with somebody that's all done via this proxy language. It still really bothers me. And there's so much of it, and it's it's it it kind of it was a joke for a while, but people are still doing it. And I remember in my tech writing classes back in uh, at uh, UCF, my tech writing teacher who was a phenomenal teacher, a phenomenal writer, and a completely obsessed with uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance and Persig and quality and doing the most clear, simple, direct. You know, like he would take points off if you submitted a, a, a paper and you use the word utilize. He said, just use the word use. It means the same just, thing. Just utilize the word use. Yeah, he's like, use. It, it's a better word. It's a simpler word. 
there's less typing. People know what it means. It's better. It's more clear. It's more concise. Don't try to make things. And I think you see this more in, in journalism, but he's like, the things that you as technical writers will be writing about are complicated enough. Don't overcomplicate them by having this style that's plagued by big words and complicated things. I'm not even talking about the advertising speak that agilize, you know, type words that you're talking about. I'm just, I'm, you know, it doesn't need to be this complicated. And almost all of the legal documents that we use at 5 by 5 were written by David Sparks because he, he's, a, he's an attorney. And, you know, he understands how to take these documents that you would expect to be like legalese and make them just sound like something a human wrote, but they they serve the same purpose. They do the same things. And it, it's it's amazing to me why this is not only accepted, but like it's encouraged. If you go into one of these meetings, you will hear this kind of speak. And I always leave them or, or, or I'll meet people, you know, there'll be some kind of like, you know, some meet meetup of like, you know, a VC, not a VC thing, but like a startup thing, like start, you know, start your company. I go to these sometimes and people will talk about it like that. I'm like, how am I supposed to take you seriously? When we talked for 10 minutes, I have no idea what anything is that you said. Am I just dumb? I'm just dumb because right. I don't understand it. And you leave feeling dumb. And I'm like, why do people have to do that? Like, just tell me what you do. I, I I agree with you. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not only agree with you, but I'm sympathetic. I mean, I, I feel the same way. And, you know, I sometimes exaggerate for comic effect, but I honestly do feel a little bit like a weirdo that I, I you know, where, where, when I make, I make a joke about, you know, you know, that reference gaslighting, you know, that movie, there's an old, old phrase, you know, where basically, uh, I think it's Charles Boyer is trying to make this woman think she's insane by having this gaslight in her room turn on and off. But it's the whole idea of like, it's basically punking where you're like, wait a minute. I, seriously, guys, are you just messing with me? Am I the only person in the room that thinks right. that this is really strange? Right. And it, and it's it's problematic on several levels. I think. Um, I mean, on the one hand, clarity suffers because when you say, I don't know, I, I, I well, I, let me go back one. It's step. a hard. I, it's a hard concept to put to words. Well, I think there's something that happens. <sighs> I'm not going to say that this is exclusive to the novice and to intermediate level of writing and communication, but I think it's where it starts. I think it starts by wanting to sound fancy and by saying, by wanting to sound learned and, and by wanting to sound like you know how to say something that's like proper and impactful. Right. And impactful. then, but then, the, yes. And if, and if the people that surround you talk this way, if you don't talk that way, then you're going to sound like the fourth grader. So you have to start talking that way because so that you're not seen. It makes you sound. Person. It makes you sound simple. Yeah, because everybody else. I mean, it's easy to but exaggerate. Not simple, not simple like the Dalai Lama, but simple no. like a fourth grader. Yep, yep. Like you don't understand the big boys. What the big boys are doing. Yeah, you, you didn't put it on your big boy pants for this meeting, and that's uh, and and so anyway. But without trying to keep the value out of this for a minute, I think factually, I, I feel. Uh, this is something everybody suffered from. And anybody, like even when I was in high school, I found myself reaching for either Roger's Thesaurus or when I was in college, the acronym finder, a great book, and um, or the synonym finder rather. Where um, you would go and like try and find is there a fancier word for this? Well, what you should be doing is saying is there is there a plainer word for this? Right. Or is there a clearer or truer word for this? Because that good writing in some ways 
good writing is about clarity. It's about knowing what it is that you want to say and then saying it economically and in a way that's not ambiguous. Hemingway. Hemingway, but I don't even think you have to be that sparse. You can write, I mean, look at somebody like John Gruber. I mean, I I think John is a model of that kind of writing. It's very, you may not agree with what John says, but he states it very, very clearly. Sometimes when I, I I can't, like even journalism, blogs, I'll read stuff and I'm still, I'm not really sure what they're saying sometimes. I'm not sure who they're referring to. I'm not sure that this number there, like they're not showing their math with the way that they write. And I think that starts from a place that's understandable and doesn't get nipped in the bud quite early enough, which is when you want to sound fancy and you, you know, I've joked about this saying, um, you know, whom, whom will experience the movie with James and I? Right. It's like, there's like three things wrong with that sentence. You know, everybody thinks you should always say, and I. Well, okay, guys, for the rest of your life, I don't know if you read 1984, but here's the way to always remember this, is just if, if, you're, if you would have said I normally, say I. If you would have said me normally, if you say with me, you would never say come with I. That doesn't make any sense. That's the easiest way in the world. Never make that mistake again. It's really easy. Just say it in your head before you say it out loud. Right. But that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's that, that kind of stuff takes, you know, experience to get used to unlearning those dumb habits. But I think it is a case of wanting to sound like maybe... Maybe it comes from a good place. Maybe you feel like you understand a topic very well, and now you just need to say it in a way that makes you sound like, more for important. lack of a better word, an expert. Yes, right. yes. Now, okay, so that's, I think, kind of an inert kind of annoying buzzword. There's other, there, there are many buzzwords uh, that are just silly, but they have a meaning. Like when we say drill down, drill down caught on, I don't know, probably a decade ago or longer, I guess, but drill down actually has a meaning to it. Drill down is let's explore this in more detail. Let's talk about this in specifics. Let's spend some, it implies, let's spend some time, you know, discussing this in detail. You know, drill down, that means something. Open the kimono, that's stupid, but it means something. It means that I'm going to basically reveal things to you that I don't want you to tell other people about. I'm going to show you, you know, NDA or friendia style things here that, that I don't want you to share with other people. And those kinds of things are silly, but you know what that means. You know what touch base means. You know what circle back means. You know all, and those are all just buzzwords that I think do have a more or less real world meaning. The ones that get me, and I, I know this is a fuzzy line for a lot of people, but it's, it's the ones where the word can mean so many different things to so many different people and where there is almost certainly a better real-world English word that could express what you want to say more clearly. Right. So, so you use and utilize this example. Uh, impactful. Boy, that's one that drives me crazy. But experience. Using experience as a verb. I've done it. But using experience as a verb uh, is troubling to me. Give me an example. We are currently experiencing issues with site performance. Better way to say it. <sighs> the internet broke. <laughs> <laughs> the but, site is down, right? Well, I mean, <clears throat> well, I, I, it's just it's just that what you really want to say is the site broke. I, I mean, I know it's, it's always way more complicated than that. Well, then what does experiencing give you that the internet broke, the site broke, that doesn't doesn't give you? I, I'm being glib, but the problem is it's like we can sit here on a podcast and laugh about that, but think about how many times you've been in a room with people who talk about experiencing something. So experiencing that, I mean, that's so passive. It's so flabby. Right. It, and it that, and that, well, no, that, pass, it, the, the passive 
And you just, you just really had got to something when you talk about that. It's that passive style. It's almost the sort of both your hands up at shoulder level and whoa, not me. We're experiencing this, but like, we don't want to say too much. And you know, the sort of stepping back way. I saw, sorry, we're experiencing the trouble. You know, it's all that passive hands up, not my fault. Meeting decided it collectively by, you know, that kind of attitude of the, the, the office space kind of mentality and attitude of nobody wants to take definitive uh, credit or responsibility for anything or in case I think there's the word a problem. You're looking for is blame. <laughs> yes, right. It's like but, we're experiencing this problem. We don't want to say our server that we set up and built ourselves is, is having a problem. We're experiencing issues right now with connectivity to some of the databases in the Southwest region. Just say, you know, this is a problem. Make it simple. Make it simple. And, and yes, but, but I think that also comes from a pretty specific place. And I, I feel like um, our generation was, I don't know if it's one of the first generations, but I, I think that in the wake of things like Strunk and White and in the wake of more, uh, any variety of, of really good textbooks that got out there to help people understand more about speaking in an active voice and how much, how much more muscular that can be. Well, there's a reason they did that because I think at one time, especially in a business environment, especially in a government environment, again, no value here, just, just straight up, uh, in a law environment, there's a certain way of writing, um, even maybe slightly having to do with journalism. Like in journalism, if you're reporting on something that happened an hour ago, um, even if you're pretty sure the kid with the hoodie set the building on fire with a can of gasoline, you can't really say that unless you can prove it. So you have to say something passive because you can't show that kid made fire. You have to show that fire was made right. and kid, kid was there. And I think that was that kind of style. I mean, I, when I used to do a lot with, um, you know, documents related to, to legal stuff. When we read a deposition, uh, you know, they're done in, in this passive voice, you know, um, you know, the, um, what's the word, the deponent, Who's the person who is? Uh, oh, I I don't know the word. I know what you're talking. But about. But you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, uh, Mrs. 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 Jones indicates she installed the caulk on or about the first of August of 1989. Mrs. Jones indicates that her hives were worsened when da 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 da. And so you do it in that in that kind of voice. And I look at the style of business writing, the style of you know some academic writing, and I think and even look at letters you see from the government where you know it's it, it's it, it's. I don't have, I'm not trying to say it might be to defer blame. I think that's how it eventually got used. But a lot of times it was just to try and be factual and keep your voice as the author out of it, which of course is impossible. (laughs) But, you know, think about things you have to read that are written in that style. You know, the sentences that begin with, it is believed. It is, it is believed. Passing away the blame. It, it, well, it is believed that Mrs. James Hives it is, it is believed that the hives experienced by Mrs. James were proximate to her exposure to the caulk. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones says she got hives from the caulk. Right. That, that, that would be that kind of says the same thing. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I don't think anybody starts out. Nobody starts out going, you know, making little finger tents and saying like, "Oh, I'm going to be this nefarious villain who never gets blamed for anything." Uh-huh. It's just that that style. It's so easy to do, 
but it's so um, it's so flabby. It's so difficult to follow. And then uh, if you're talking about something you like, I, I would like to talk about if you if you if you allow some of the ways in which this kind of language actually is kind of damaging. When we get to the point where there's a lot of ambigu- ambiguousness about what words mean, and where we start speaking in a kind of patois that could mean anything and probably means nothing. Mm-hmm. Are you well, about something you like? Yeah, the thing that I like is Squarespace. It's an all-in-one platform. It makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or portfolio or online store. You can, uh, you can jump right in and start using this. There's a free trial, but you're going to get 10% off over on Squarespace if you use our secret code, Tooth Fairy, one word. So we're talking about teeth. He, did I tell you he lost his other tooth? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, Tooth Fairy will get you ten percent off, and uh, and and here's the thing. I, you know, we run archeravenue.com and the Bacon Method and a couple other sites on uh, Squarespace, and you know, sometimes I, you get in there and you're like, well, I feel like I've been looking at at this site too much. Like I want something different. Squarespace, they are always coming out with really great templates that you can completely customize. So, in their template gallery. You can see how, like, they'll usually show five, ten different companies, how they've completely customized this template that is a really nice starting point. But they came out with a new one. I said, I want to try that. What you do is you add it to your Squarespace, and then it sort of switches into like a, I don't want to call it developer mode, because that sounds uh, serious. But it switches into a mode that lets you preview this new template. You can actually completely redesign, customize, change up your whole site. But you're doing this in a sort of private way so that people who are going to the site in the meantime see the regular old site. When you go in there and start changing things around and building the new site, if you like it, you switch over to it. If not, you just uninstall the template. It's gone and all your changes go away. It's really great. And they've really thought of everything. It's uh, 24-7 support through live chat and email. They're located in New York City and, and now apparently Dublin, because I guess that's the cool place in the UK to, to have an office. So they went there. Uh, eight bucks a month. And then it includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. All this it looks beautiful on every device that you've got iPhone, Android, computer, you name it. And, uh, and there's no credit card or anything like that. You can import your content from other places. Anyway, go there, squarespace.com. 10% off if you use a code Tooth Fairy. Support the show. Go check them out. Thanks very much to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 five five and uh, back to work. <clears throat> yep. Um, I think uh, part of it is if you ever decide to try your hand at writing, you know, or, or try to get better at writing. If you if you just basically decide that you want to think more uh, about becoming a better writer, and I I think you'll discover quickly, consequently, becoming a slightly better thinker or a clearer thinker, because you know, good writing requires a certain kind of clear thinking, and that process of writing. I guess this is just a bee in my bonnet right now, because uh, it interests me so much. Is you know how much the process of writing can help you realize what it is. Uh, that you actually do think. John talked about, uh, Gruber talked about this on the talk show a couple weeks ago about how by the, sometimes by the time he's done writing a piece for Daring Fireball, he realizes that he thinks something really different than he originally thought and he goes and rewrites the whole thing. Is that cheating? No, that is not cheating. That means that that process of writing forced you to walk through what it is that you reckon, what you think, what you believe, what you ponder. And when you put it down on the page and then read it back to yourself, you may be really surprised at, at what's actually there. 
you may you may go into it thinking, you know, this thesis, and then by the time you get to the third paragraph, you realize that, oh, you know, actually the evidence that I have for this, and even my own uh, uninformed reckons, tell me that this is something that is really probably something else. So maybe I need to not write this now, or maybe I need to research this more. Maybe I need to put this way, away and think about it. But there's no disgrace to changing your mind partway through. And that's kind of one of the secrets of writing, is that, that it helps you become clear about what it is that you actually think about something. But once you, I think once you become even the most um, casual student of that, you can't help but start noticing these little ticks. It's, it's a matrix kind of moment where you could spend years reading all these different kinds of these styles that are, that are so flabby and weird and not really notice them. Because you're just kind of reading them for content, right? You're just flying through them, and then you know you uh, you end up blaming yourself if you didn't understand it. You got to go back, you know, get a clarification. But I think that that kind of institutional beigeness uh, becomes so okay with us that it isn't until you know we become aware of the matrix that we start noticing it. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I didn't notice these things until I started reading books, right? You know, I, I and now I really notice it. I really, I really notice that you could have been clearer. In this paragraph, journalist, you could have been a lot clearer about saying whether the person that you mentioned in the first sentence is the person who told you this or whether that's something that's on record that this person said somewhere else. Is it, are, they, are they quoting somebody? It becomes very unclear sometimes who's saying what, who's doing what. And then once you start becoming attuned to that and you become a better reader, you can't help but want to become a better writer because you don't want to make that same mistake again. Mm-hmm. So the problem, I think, or the the challenge, is <laughs> there are no problems. There are only challenges. Right. This is the challenge we face. The cash flow challenge Work this together. quarter. Work together. Um, <laughs> is that if you're surrounded by other folks who are speaking in that same way or who are consequently thinking in that same way, uh, what, you know, what are you going to do? Are, are you going to be the one who starts writing like a fourth grader and trying to make clear sentences? You're, you're like a dope. So I don't know. I you've run into this a lot, I'm sure. You know, in the world of technology, I, I definitely feel like I have. Yeah. You know, um, I guess I just I, I my my concern, I guess, is is when there are words that should have a lot more meaning to them, but don't, and when they are either ambiguous or, in the worst of cases, they are like newspeak, in the sense that they are deliberately either engineered or allowed to prosper as a phrase or a word that actually means almost the opposite mm. of, of what it seems like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it just, it all, to me, it comes down to the, the training. I remember being just to go back for a second to the, those tech writing classes. That was a big thing for me to kind of get, take that step back and think about some of the things that I'm sure my professors are trying to explain that, that, that you're saying now that I didn't understand back then of just the challenge of that. What, what is the goal here? It, you know, is the goal concise, clear, efficient communication, or is it trying to make yourself sound better, trying to make yourself sound smart? I remember I was sent out on an internship. It wasn't really an internship because it was just a single project, but we all had to do these sort of tech writing projects where you went to the real world and you sat down in a company and you worked with a couple people and they had you write some documentation for something. That's exactly what I was going to suggest. Really? Yes. Go ahead. I'm interested in this. Well, they had, uh, so, so mine was some kind of strange, I don't even remember what it was. It was some kind of 
telephony software or something. But, you know, we, I, I sat down and I was writing about it and they were talking about policies and procedures and other things. So they eventually became that I was writing a policy and procedure guide instead of software documentation. But that was fine. That was still something a tech writer would do. And, you know, and he kept talking about 401ks, which I'd never heard of. This is, you know, I was in my third year of college. I had no idea what a 401k was. And he's like, well, let's, uh, here's the details about a 401k. I'm like, what's a 401k? And he looked at me and he said, it's a 401k. And I was like, okay, well, I didn't have my iPhone to quickly Google it. This was 1993. So I never, you know, figured that out until I went home and called my granddad and asked him what a 401k was. That's, that was the internet for me back then. And you know, and then he said, well, we also need a section on evergreen accounts. I'm like, what's an evergreen account? And he said, it's just what it sounds like. Evergreen. Ugh. I'm like, I, what is an evergreen account? You know what I mean? Like I didn't, none of this stuff made sense. And the, and the attitude of this guy was like, it wasn't like he didn't, he wasn't being a jerk. He just didn't understand because he was so in the weeds of this stuff. You know, I, I, I was on a job probably for six weeks one time before I got the balls, excuse me, the guts, the temerity, the orneriness to ask what evergreen content meant. Right. I went to so many meetings for probably six weeks and they just kept talking about evergreen content and I thought they were talking about trees. <laughs> That's what I thought the guy was talking about. I was like, well, is this Christmas? Like, what, what are you talking about? And we didn't have, we didn't have Google on our iPhones. We didn't have a simple, straightforward way to get any, in any answer to any question. You know, even, even those absurd, ridiculous Yahoo groups answers would have been useful to me back in 1993. And we didn't have that. And, and, and you really were at risk of looking like a, a, a total moron if you didn't know something as basic as what is evergreen content, like, or what's an evergreen account or whatever. And like, I, it was such an off-putting experience to me. And yet you know, here I was writing, doing the best case. Like, well, what kind of style do you think you'll be writing, uh, you know, writing the, the documentation in? And I said, well, you know, w- what I've been learning in school is that you're supposed to write in, you know, the most clear, concise style as possible. And I gave him and gave him examples of things. And, and he looked at me and he said, all I wanted to know was just what kind of style you're going to write in. But whatever. Oh my God, I hate this guy so much. Yeah, he was a jerk. He was really a jerk. But he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. He had just... Like it didn't make sense to him. Was he a government worker? This wasn't a government thing, but uh, it might as well have been. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, I, th- but there was so much of that, and then you get out into the real world, and that's what you find. You're like, wow, th- this stuff doesn't. And you know, it doesn't have to be boring. It can be fun. You know, if you've if anybody in in the audience has ever bought anything from Mackie, they make like mixers and preamps and things like that. Read their documentation. It's hilarious. They put mm-hmm. lots of jokes in there. They make jokes about technical writers' salaries. I mean, it's hilarious. Uh, they're having fun with it. Like it, they made it fun. And they're, I'm not saying every company would be all right with that, but you know, things should be easy to understand. That's the whole point of, of reading a manual or reading a documentation or reading a story. When you read something that, that that John Gruber has written, you you never come away from it feeling dumb. You never come away from it feeling, I really don't understand his point. You understand it. 
because that's right. the whole reason he wrote it is so that anyone could read it and understand it. And you know, it, it, the, the, if the goal of your writing is to elevate your thought process and the the thing that you've written ab- above the common denominator, you're doing it wrong. Because there, there's some interesting and nearly unique things about documentation that make it different, <laughs> nearly unique, yeah. that make it different, literally, from other kinds of writing. So let's say you're the kind of person like me who's writing mostly what you might call like a personal essay mm-hmm. or something. Or even if you're trying to write, you know, a, about a feature uh, in a product and why you think it's good, uh, that can be very challenging. It's, challenge- it's hard to do that well. It's hard to do that clearly. It's, it's hard to do that with, you know, uh, in an economical way. But the the thing that I think makes document there's a couple things that make documentation interesting is first of all um, I think in most even like any but the tiniest tiniest organizations your job is to explain to the user how to use the software or the hardware let's just say software for example how to use the software but you're not allowed to have any input just for the sake of argument mm-hmm. you're there to describe the software that's going to ship. You don't get to go back to the developers and say, you know, if I'm having a hard time explaining this, um, then maybe maybe it's something that could also be clear in the software. I've certainly had to go through this writing the what we used to call blah blah text for our web pages mm. about how to use. <laughs> you got to love things where you explain how to use features on a website, right? Right. Uh, which is something we used to do. You used to have to do that because this is the legacy format that this thing is in, and we can't change that. And if we want this to inter- if we want this data and that data to go interact with each other, then we don't have a lot of options except to have this incredibly wonky looking page somebody you know put together in Perl. And that's just how it is. So, but th- the reason I say this is that, well, first of all, o- the obvious thing, you know, if, if it's difficult for you to write a personal essay, and it should be, because it sh- writing should be difficult, that's what makes it writing, in- instead of masturbating or Facebook. And, and, but the thing is, you still, you can be somebody who changes what they think as they're writing a personal essay. That's the whole point of the goddamn essay. But, what if somebody hands you this completed software, and maybe you've got some basic, you know, engineer, you know, uh, bullet points on how to use stuff? But you know, you in a lot of organizations I've been in, people are wearing multiple hats. So sometimes it's people who are doing like testing are the people who are also writing the documentation. For example, I don't know if that's a best practice, but that's how it ends up working sometimes. But um, you know, at, at some point, everybody ends up having to pitch in a little bit, and I, I I think writing documentation is is such a great exercise because. You have to take this thing that exists in the world and explain it in a really clear way. The whole point is you're explaining it to somebody who has no idea how to use it. You have to figure out, is this going to be an advanced user? Is this going to be a new user? All the things that have to go through your mind. You've got to think about your audience so carefully. But then the actual composition of that is such a weird meta project. If I had to explain to a house sitter or a babysitter how to watch... Sounds so easy. Um, so babysitter's coming over. We we want him or her to be able to watch Netflix. Okay. So I say that to you, and in your head, you imagine walking up to the TV and flipping on Netflix. It's right. really easy, right? That's like oh. one. That's a thing. That that's sounds, doing a thing. To quote my friend uh, Jamie Phelps, it seems so simple. <laughs> it seems so simple. All you're going to do is go watch Netflix, right? You do it every day. It's really easy. Okay. Does your user have all of the knowledge that you do? about the problem domain here. Well, uh, yeah, okay. So where are they going to watch Netflix? Well, it's easy. I mean, they could watch it using the smart TV. wouldn't recommend it. Uh, they could use it uh, on the Roku, or they could uh, do it on the uh, Apple TV. Okay. So how do they watch Netflix? <sighs> 
Okay, you get the remote. Which remote? Uh, which one, whichever you're going to watch it on. Okay, which one are they going to watch it on? <sighs> okay, they're going to watch it on the Apple TV. Find the Apple TV re- remote. Okay, so what's on screen? Well, nothing. The TV's not on. Oh, so they have to turn the TV on? Yes, you have to get, take the remote. Oh, the remote that's the, uh, the, the Apple TV? No, no, the remote for the TV. You take the remote for the TV. You turn it on. You click the input thing to make sure that it's on, on Apple TV. You bring up Apple TV. You hit menu until you're at the... You see where I'm going with this. It's so much harder than it sounds. I remember one time having to explain to our friend who was going to house it how to use our TiVo, and I had to write a three-page document in Microsoft mm-hmm. Word. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic exercise, though. But why? I mean, am I belaboring this? Maybe. But that's such an obvious thing to you, that you know how to do that. But to have to explain that to somebody else in an economical way. Like, imagine somebody is really, they're running in, and they want to watch something like a sports event that they want to watch really quickly. Well, do they have time to read a 10-page document where you've exhaustively listed all of the listings of the table full of the channels, all the different options, how you could choose to use either of these remotes for these different things, you, as the writer, have to think through all of that and come up with the single, most crystalline, perfect, concise, yep. and economical decision. And right. it's about 100 times harder than it sounds. And you know what? It's easy to forget those little tiny details because we take so much of it for granted. I'm the reminded. TV's not on. Right, you the forgot TV's to not tell on. the TV on. I, told, I, I remember my aunt had come to stay with us a number of years ago, and I think the Apple TV was, you know, the old, old, old Apple TV, the kind that looks like... Hot big, drive. <laughs> yeah, right, with the bigger than a Mac mini and is now, and it's got the white top and the, you know, and I think my aunt just like wanted to watch some TV. And, uh, so I kind of got things set up and I said, you know, and here when, you know, whatever you do this, that, and the other thing. And she said, okay. And, uh, and, and it seemed like she was in, everything was going fine. And later that day I verified that she had indeed watched, uh, a show because when I came downstairs the next morning, she was watching it that night, the next, the TV was still on. She, I had not given her instructions on how to turn the TV off. And when she, you know, turned off the cable box, the TV just stayed on. Nothing bad happened for that. But it's like these little things. She's a very smart woman. But it's like she just followed the instructions that I gave her. And I never said, well, turn, of course, you're going to turn the TV off when you're done. No. Why would I do that? The screen went black, must be off. You know, it's these little things that we take for granted that you have to really step outside of yourself to try and walk yourself through to really figure out what exactly uh, do we need to do here to make this thing work. And the simpler the language, the better of a time the, that's, the, and the, that's, the recipient that's, I think, will have. Yes, yes. And I think that's where you're, you're getting to the thread that runs through this, which is, I mean, on the one hand, there's me babbling on about, you know, being a clearer writer, but what you're really getting down to is not mm, what you can assume the other person knows or thinks or believes that you all, that you know or believe or think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those step zero kinds of things like turn on the TV, you know, for example, if anybody is ever going to like house sit for us or something, we, I, I, it took me probably two or three years to remember to tell them the single most important thing about, about our house, which is that the door is always locked. <laughs> Right? I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Like when the door closes, it's locked. <laughs> right. Like, like a hotel room. Right. Like be careful of that I if you walk out. I cannot express the- to you, this is such a simple thing that we learned the day we moved in. And we've gotten pretty good about it, knowing that the door is always locked. It locks automatically. Apparently, turns out, a lot of people don't have doors at their house that lock automatically. So mm. if they take out the recycling, <laughs> it's the most obvious thing in the world. 
that you would never think to say to somebody. So, and that to me, that I'll be talking about something you like, but the, the, to me, that's, that's where the clarity part of this gets into it. Uh, it is, is making sure that, that you, that you, you know, and again, in documentation, you know how you can do stuff like, say, you have different formats, and usually you have a style guide for how you write the documentation. And you, you, you always want to watch yourself if you start making this documentation that looks like something for a toaster, where it's got like 15 pages of warnings and, and all the big black boxes to warn you about all these different kinds of things. You can't do too many of those. Because too many of those means people kind of zone out to them. Anyway, I just think it's a terrific exercise in, in realizing why that clarity is important. No, I, wonder, I mean, I haven't read it yet, but I've, I've looked a uh, page through it very quickly. My iPad was running low on charge, and it's there, and it was down to 2%, and I panicked. So I, I stopped reading it. But I hear it's the best thing ever. The best thing ever. Oh, it's, well, I don't know about that, but it's, I thought it was delightful. Um, Dan Slott. Um, Mike Allred, and what's his? Is it uh, Gloria? Gloria Allred? Is that her name? The colorist? Oh, I think sure. is, is, is his missus. But you know, it's 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 such a swell style. I love the way that Mike Allred draws kids. You know, I love the way he drew the kids. I don't know how much FF you read in the Matt Fraction run, but uh, I love the way he draws all the little kids at the Future Foundation, and uh, that carries over to the way he's doing Silver Surfer. Silver yes. Surfer is so cool. Yeah, hey, we don't, we don't have to go this fast. I got more time if you got more time. We could just go. This would be the shortest episode we've ever done, I think. No, we won't be. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what else I got on here. Um, Cover for Silver Surfer number two looks crazy. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I should see that. Um, let's see if I got anything else here about the writing stuff. Um, it's not even a writing thing. It's just, I guess we should wrap up that, that, at least that one piece. It's... um. I think it's a it, it's it's an uphill struggle in some ways. We all speak. We have to speak in order in order to just interact with each other. We have to be somewhat elliptical. Sometimes we have to be uh, somewhat terse. You know, there are times when we we can't say everything we know about everything, and, unless you're me, and that's the only way you feel whole. Uh, but but you know, in a business environment, you have to rely on a certain kind of shorthand. I just I guess. I wonder, since I haven't been exposed to it a lot in the last few years, I just this part of me that I can't help but think that, you know, remember your parents warning you about, be careful who you hang out with, because mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, you're going to become like your friends. You know, uh, I, I'd like to think that wasn't true, but I think it is true. You know, if, if what you read a lot, what you consume a lot, that kind of becomes who you are. It affects your worldview. And I... I don't think I'm being too, I hope I'm not being too dire or, or being too melodramatic, but if you spend seven to 10 hours a day speaking in this kind of second order language mm. about the world, I have to imagine at some point that has a big effect or impact, if you like. <laughs> I bet it's impactful. impactful. On your, I bet it's impactful on your thought experience. It has to change the way that you think. Don't, I mean, don't you think? I mean, like, just, just what I'm talking about right here. Just trying to become a slightly better writer. Just trying some exercises. Trying to explain something in one paragraph to somebody. You know, even trying to write a great email. I think if you, if you really mindfully sat down and tried to do that today, I think you would discover something very interesting. You would find yourself, how do I put this? It isn't fruity. Using in different parts of your mind or using it in different ways. Do you know what I mean? The, the kinds of ways that like the way that you solve a math problem is different than the way you try to remember who Charlene Tilton is. Oh, right. I think you, you find, you find yourself 
having to be much more thoughtful about what you're doing. You're noticing, like right now, as I'm speaking, I'm much more cognizant of every word that I choose because this is what we are talking about. Uh, I think it's just, it's a good exercise. And, and as far as like, I don't know how you get out of that if you're an iMic or if you're anybody who's in a company like that. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I don't know how you get out of that kind of pattern, especially, I mean, this is a truism for me. Uh, that I've said on here a million times is that people will emulate whatever successful people do in a company and whatever they see other people being rewarded for, Mm -hmm. or I guess, um, uh, conversely that you are going to not be punished for things that other people aren't punished for maybe more often. So I don't think there's a big incentive for people to say, what do we mean by experience? What does that mean? Because experience sounds expensive. <laughs> what, what does that really mean in terms of what those, what the guys with the beards in the basement are actually going to be coding? And isn't it funny, isn't it funny that it, it is the tech folks that are, are most riled by that kind of talk? It seems like it because there's this, there's this thing with, with people, you know, we're making a generalization, but people who write code typically um, are paid to be in a way, perfectionists. They're paid to be exact. And this is the whole Van Hote thing. That those little details and being the kind of person who catches those details, the kind of person who notices that type of thing, um, is rewarded as a developer. It's certainly not rewarded socially, but as a developer, being the kind of person who notices every single little detail and who is able to know the right answer, know the correct way or the correct approach or understand why the detail that's wrong is wrong and the subtlety of that. As a developer, as an engineer, that's that's exactly who I want writing the code for my, you know, banking system, for the, right. you know, the billing system for the telecommunications company that's correctly going to track usage of my cell phone and my megabyte data usage. I want that guy writing that code because it's going to be perfect. Socially, yeah, if you're, if you're I don't want to hang nine, out with like a nine one one system. You want somebody to go way beyond what the experience of it should be. There's no experience button, right? On, There's no experience button. It, it's it's all logic at that point, right? And I mean, you could certainly give credit, though. I mean, not to just slag on everybody in marketing and biz dev or whatever, but you know, they they benefit from speaking in a certain way because they're looking for the farfic nugan in their in their product, right? They're looking for this um, the je ne sais quoi that you can turn into something like Coke is really just water with sugar in it, really. But how, <laughs> they've somehow made a multi-billion dollar empire out of that and good on them. But they didn't do that by saying Coke, it's 12 ounces of sugar and water. Like that would not be right. very catchy. That's not the correct. The, Even though that is the accurate way to put it. It lacks the impact. Yeah. That we're yeah, looking for. High fructose corn syrup and water, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, I I don't know, just in closing, I, I seem to remember maybe in Palm Sunday, I don't remember, but in one of Kurt Vonnegut's books, talking about how he felt like the best writers at Cornell University were in the science department, not in the English department, mm. because there was a place, you know, where, where that kind of clarity was so much more valued, you know, and uh, I don't know, I, I, feel, I, I feel like I see that sometimes, because in, in tech writing, like real tech writing, where people are really trying to explain real tech things, mm-hmm. Not just you know Facebook features or whatever that um, that it does require a certain amount of of clarity. I don't know what I think I should write about it. 
Okay. Mm, Are you feeling better? Are you feeling a little better? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you been nose candling or whatever it's called? Have you been doing the uh, irrigation? Uh, then the use, using of the neti pot only a few times. You get a boil have, you been, have you been experiencing neti? We've been experiencing the sinus clear. Yeah. Uh, the, the key I boil, they say you could, you can get away with boiling five minutes. I just double it. I just boil 10 minutes. Cause I mm-hmm. figure you do that. Everything in there is dead. Mm. Put a lobster in there. And then when the lobster is fully <laughs> cooked, you can, you can use that. Pinchy. All right. <laughs> let's uh let's button this up. I love you. Love you too, Merlin Man. Mm-hmm.